This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, Greg Wyshynski, want to hear a sick burn? Oh, uh, I think I've handed out a few of those myself over the years. So, yes, I would love to hear one. Okay, so at the top of the hour break, I usually go upstairs and get a cup of coffee. Okay? All right. It's a sort of industry standard for me. I exist on caffeine. And uh, my one kid, my 12-year-old, is home from school today. He's not feeling well. He was up in the middle of the night with a sore throat and the scratch and the fever and the whole deal. So he's home. So he's on the couch in the living room. I go upstairs to get a coffee, and he goes, hey, Dad. I go, what's that, son? And he says, uh, you know, I, I rolled over, and I, I rolled over on the remote control by accident, and it flipped to your show. You were talking to Allison. I was just talking to Allison Lucan a second ago. And I said, yeah. And my wife says, <laughs> my wife says, yeah. As soon as he did that, he grabbed the remote control and just talked into it. Netflix. He watched it for about three seconds. <laughs> and then that was it. <laughs> Back to, watching, time, back to watching Last Kids on Earth or something. <laughs> the only time uh, my daughter Vivian ever cared about me being on TV was the one time I told her I gave her a shout out. And uh, I gave her a shout oh, out yeah. for, for, for something I think maybe Devils related because she's a big Devils fan. And, and then uh, I said, I said, did you watch it? And she goes, it was so short. Yeah. I'm like, well, what do you what you think it was going to be? A 30 for 30 on, on your devil's fandom? <laughs> like, I, I said hi to my kid on television. Like, you should be pretty happy about that, shouldn't you? Yeah. Ah, kids, 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 Greg. Kids, kids. Indeed. By the way, um, it sounds like you're feeling better uh, seven days later. You got over your... Yeah, I shook the, the... Yeah, the Toronto death plague that, that half the people got all-star. I finally shook. It was a, it was a, rough, a rough month as far as, like... I mean, you, you don't realize it until... Uh, until it happens, but uh, when you use your voice yeah. to do, you know, multiple radio hits every day and several podcasts some, a week, it's just like, then you, yeah. you sound again like your, your great aunt smoking Marlboros for about two weeks. It really does impact your ability to do your gig. <laughs> but you kind of sound better. I've always made this point. My, when I'm sick, I sound I way better than I than I do right now. It's yeah, uh, but I cross the Rubicon. Octave, it's awesome. I feel terrible though. What's no, that? I crossed the Rubicon. Like I, I, I didn't have the deep baritone. Like I know what you're saying. Like at some point when you're sick, you, you, you do reach that point where you're feeling better and you sound like James Earl Jones. But I never got to that point. Yeah. I, I, I just, I just, I was in pain and and croaky for mm. the entire time. So it wasn't, it wasn't fun. But everything's, everything's better, better now. I mean, as better as as it can be with me, I guess. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So speaking, speaking of uh, living in pain. I want to start our conversation off today by talking about Matt Rempe. Okay. And uh, we we hearken back to the one of the things that I remember you used to, used to always make this point on the old MVSW podcast. Mm-hmm. You used to say that it really is a shame that you know one of the things that's been lost is the anticipation of a big scrap in hockey because there was really yes. n- nothing like it in sports mm-hmm. right like we all remember probert and domi part 2 like how big a deal that was uh troy crowder etc i just had thomas hickey on uh before he came on and he brought up the point that you know milan lucic was like this in his first year where he came in and he went he went gauntlet he went through everybody and he's probably the last one to do it like this doesn't happen anymore in hockey once upon a time everybody had to do this troy crowder did this ty domi did this like everybody you went through all of them to sort of earn your spot. I'm oh, sorry. You went through all of them to earn your spot and earn your earn the right to pick your spots afterwards. 
but you had to do the tour. Now no one has to do the tour. But Matt Rempe is choosing to do the tour. And yeah. tonight it's the Rangers and the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I don't know if a player has ever worn an eye patch under a visor, but if anyone <laughs> should, it should probably be Matt Rempe, that left eye specifically <laughs> that Matthew Olivier tuned up on Sunday. Um, where are you on the, the Matt Rempe phenomenon going back to the uh, the stadium series game? Or at least some ski goggles or something to kind of like keep it, keep it from getting damaged anymore. Yeah. Um, I, here's a couple. So I went to Rangers practice yesterday because I'm doing a feature on Rempe later this week on ESPN. And um, I don't know if, if people are aware of this, but uh, everyone went to Rangers practice yesterday to do a feature of Matt Rempe. <laughs> he, he, he was featured in the, in the, in the Wall Street yeah. Journal. Uh, all the New York papers had, had features on him as well. I, I kid you not that the number of reporters that were there at Rangers practice yesterday rivaled the number of reporters that you would see on locker cleanout day. Like that is how many people were there to cover what has become one of the biggest sensations in New York sports over the last, you know, seven to 10 days. Um, yeah. I, I know why he fights. He's fighting to literally make an impression. He's fighting because he fought in the A. Um, I agree with those that say he's not very good at it. And, and by that, I mean, is I don't think that he knows how to protect himself very well. I think he's someone who has always yeah. relied on reach, his, his incredible reach. I mean, you know, the first time he fought somebody at the stadium series, I think it was, it was a Matt Martin saying that he's got a Chara-esque reach. Matt Martin. Um, and so yep. those who are a little bit concerned about the... Yeah, those who are a little bit concerned about the damage he's taking, I think are completely right in the sense that he's he's not really refined... Uh, from a technique standpoint, as as some of maybe the other fighters he, that we still have in this league are. You know what he, I mean? He needs his own Mr. Miyagi here, is, is what he yeah. needs. You know, Cam Jansen was on the Cam and Strick podcast and talking about, like, oh, you love him, he's game and all that. I just like to be able to to work with him, to teach him a few yeah. things, protect himself right. in there. You know, like, he, he, it's okay to block... You watch, like, you know, ECHL fights and, like, nobody wants to block a punch. Everyone's just free-throwing, free-chucking. You know, the the top of the show, the one name that came back to me, and you can you can see the fight that there was a, a real tough one for this guy and sort of changed, well, changed his career. Uh, it was a guy by the name of Jim McTaggart. So Jim McTaggart was a tough kid in the Western Hockey League. He played for Saskatoon. He played for Billings. And he came up to the NHL. Uh, the Washington Capitals signed him, was a big, tough defenseman in the Western League. And unfortunately for him... One day in a scrum, he pulled the Bob Nystrom card, and mm. it didn't go well for Jim. And Jim wasn't used to being handled like that up until then. Jim was used to handling guys himself, and it was no problem because he was tough Jim McTaggart. And Nystrom kind of kind of finished that, and a lot of people kind of said, like, yeah, you know what, probably biting off more than you can chew here. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, he, and, he, and he certainly was. Um, but is there, like, I don't know that uh, of recent memory we can think of, of anybody who, you know, who, who's more in need for his own yeah. health and welfare yeah. of yeah. having, having a sensei, like he really does need <laughs> a hockey fight sensei. Who can that be? I don't know. Cam Jansen has already put it out there that he's willing and available to help the kid out. Like more than anything, like if you're the New York Rangers, one, you have this wonderful asset and a folk hero. People love him. Um, who's willing to do this on a consistent basis, do you not owe it to the kid to get him some help if he's going to continue to do this? You know what I mean? 
Well, I think I think their help is don't they're they're telling him not to fight. <laughs> I mean, I I, I I think he'll fight tonight. I, I mean, this is his first game at MSG. It's almost impossible to conceive uh, a scenario unless he's, he's he's too banged up to do so, where he doesn't drop the gloves in his first game at MSG, given how much hype and and attention is being given to this kid. Um, but there's two things I'll say about this. First of all, it, it is fun to see the old guard of NHL pugilism, whether it's Cam Jansen or John Scott or whomever, kind of rise up and, and yeah. be like, you know, we want to sit on this egg. We want to hatch this kid. We want we want to nurture him to his full yeah. form because because it, it, obviously like and hockey fighting is 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 a is a is a dead art almost and so as far as the number of people that still uh, do it on a regular basis. So the idea of all these guys looking at him as uh, someone who might be able to keep the flame a lit is pretty fun. But the other thing about Rempe, though, and I think this is the important thing, is like he's not just somebody who's come up and fought, and he and he's not such just somebody who's come up and and, and thrown yeah. his body around. He's a very unique individual, uh, not just because he's seven feet tall, but he's. I talked to his junior coach for the story. Like he's the complete opposite of what you'd expect from what you see on the ice behind the scenes. He is for lack of a better term, if Ashton Kutcher's uh, character from that 70s show played hockey <laughs> and happened to fight all the time. Like, he's a dude. Yeah. He plays guitar. The yeah. thing I loved most about talking to Rempe yesterday was the anecdote that he gave about taking photos with Rangers fans. You know, he is, again, seven feet tall. He has a black eye. He cannot exactly hide uh, from being around New Yorkers at this point, uh, and, and people recognize him. And he yeah. said that he took photos with Rangers fans at the Cheesecake Factory uh, restaurant. Yep. <laughs> and what struck me about that anecdote is when you think about a kid from Alberta, when you think about a kid who has finally made the NHL, who is in this whirlwind of, 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 of pop culture popularity, um, the thing I came back to was there's a very good chance that going to the cheesecake factory for Matt Rempe is like buying a Cadillac. You know, it's like the moment you've made it is when you can go to the cheesecake factory. <laughs> you're, you're earning NHL money. You're not at the Palm. Yeah. You're, 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 you're not at, at, at mm. New York's best steakhouse. You're at the cheesecake factory because you've made it. And now you can go to the Cheesecake Factory. And I'm like, that is the most relatable, wonderful thing about this kid. So you know what that reminds me of? And the whole phenomenon and this this cult hero status. How much of this reminds you of Nick Fatiu? Now, Nick Fatiu, I mean, you know, grew yeah, up in the Bronx. Up for sure. a, 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 yeah, boxer and, you know, played in the NHL, was a loved Ranger. Uh, used to go to Rangers games and sat way, way, way in the back. And, you know, during warm-up, he would grab pucks. Like, he wouldn't shoot pucks up without, like, he would chuck them. Like, grab them and whip, whip pucks up to the top of the building at MSG because those were the seats that he sat in. Which, you know, you're from the area. He Nick Fatiu was loved. Loved, loved, loved by Rangers fans. And a lot of it was, he was one of them. And he made it. And how many times have, I mean, I think that's the, 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 the point where everybody loves e-bugs. Hey, you know what? That could be me. Mm -hmm. I could mm -hmm. have made it too. There's that element right. to it. There was that element to Nick Fatiu. And there's this lovable sort of of the people, you know, element to Matt Rempe. Am I stretching this? Am I making this to be like too much of a romantic story? 
Dude, I don't know. I always he, catch myself and say, am I, am, I, am I being too over the top on this? I don't know. He debuted in a Rangers-Islanders outdoor game that had upwards of 80,000 fans outdoors. That was his debut. And he fought Matt Martin, yeah. And he yeah. fought Matt Martin, <laughs> and he became a cult hero. Now, the, the, the tricky part about doing this kind of thing, though, about Rempe as far as, like, legend building is – there's a very good chance this guy might not be even in the lineup after the trade deadline. <laughs> like the Rangers are very much expected to go get themselves a center and a wing. And the reason why Rempe yeah. is in the lineup is because they lost Blake Wheeler. So who even knows what eventually will become of his run with this team? He's obviously earned his spot. He's playing well. He scored a goal, you know, uh, off his body. But who knows what's going to, where he's going to be in the, in the next like two to three weeks. Now, I was saying to another writer at practice yesterday, can't you see a scenario in which the Rangers are down like 3-1 in a playoff series and all of a sudden it's Rempe time? Like, couldn't you see that? I mean, that is oh, just geez. like, the, I mean, you, you, that is the script that you could just see being written right now. They're down 3-1 to the Hurricanes. They yeah. need something to change. And here, here it is. We're putting Rempe in. And the fans are going berserk. Mm-hmm. It's time. It's Rempe time. Here we go, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got their signs ready. It's like the uh, the the, uh, the the raw nitro wars on on Monday nights. <laughs> um, okay, let me uh, let me let me see if I can get somewhere here with you. There is one player, Greg Wyshynski, in the history of hockey who has played with all three Gretzkys. Huh. Okay, do you know who that player is? Oh my God. So it there is one player in the history of the game who's played with all three Gretzkys. No, go ahead and tell me because I'll, I'll be here forever. Go ahead. It's Troy Crowder. He's no kidding. the only player in the history of the NHL to play Troy with Crowder. all three Gretzkys when you uh, when you uh, accumulate both junior and minor pro and the NHL with the greatest of them all, Wayne. Now, is there a Troy Crowder? This is a little, this is a little something for the older people listening and watching right now. This is something for, something for the older folks. You have to explain. You have right to explain now. Troy Crowder. You have to explain Troy Crowder to the people. Troy Crowder, the New Jersey Devils, came came literally out of nowhere. He's uh, Troy Crowder from Sudbury, Ontario, played in, played in uh, junior hockey, and with the New Jersey Devils. This is in the era where Probert held the title and everybody wanted it. And there was a Taidomi encounter with Bob Probert, and in the first fight, um, in the first fight, Domi caught Probert. No mistake about it, Domi won that first fight and then showboated with the title and cheer on the bench and the fifth pumps. And, you know, it's like Bob, I'll remember it. And Probert said, like, hey, if you're coming to the next game, don't get up to get a cup of coffee. You might want to stay yeah. and watch what happens. Yeah. And what happened happened. And Bob, quote unquote, got the title back. But someone who came in to lay claim to that title who had a doozy with Bob was Troy Crowder. And yeah. then Crowder went on one of these runs, you know, like there was, you know, I can recall there were, there was a story. I, I really got to find, I don't know if it's irresponsible to put it out there without corroborating it, but there was always a legendary story about, you know, Wayne Gretzky wanting Troy Crowder on his team in Los Angeles because he didn't want 
someone to show up on, you know, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, as they were called at that point, who could be a rival for Marty. Like he wanted, like Wayne always valued having, the one thing about Wayne that doesn't really get explored a whole lot is Wayne always valued having a lot of tough guys around him. Oh yeah. He always did. Like he wanted McSorley in that trade. Like there, there was always, Wayne always valued that. And there was a belief that, you know, Wayne reached out to, to Crowder personally to, to open the invitation to come to Los Angeles. Anyhow, that's who Troy Crowder was. Legendary tough guy, junior hockey, minor pro, and the NHL. That's for the older set. Is there a yep. Matt Rempe-esque, sorry, is there a Troy Crowder-esque element here to Matt Rempe? Geez, it's only been different. Like eight, dang, 10 days of this guy, and here we are talking about him and comparing him to Troy Crowder, but here we are. It, it's different because Crowder, like, first of all, Troy Crowder was my gateway drug to enforcer culture. Like, that 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 was, I was very young. Oh, was he was, eh? Impressionable. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was I was all about the, the Probert-Crowder uh, 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 wars uh, at that point. Um, I think the difference is, is that Crowder was representative of a kind of player that could break into the league with his fists, um, not necessarily have a ton of skill, and then de- endear himself to fans by virtue of, of, of winning fights or having fights. I think in Rempe's case, there's more there than just being a fighter, like clearly. Like, I, I think he's a really skilled player. Um, and, and if that skill is just standing in front of the net and, and uh, eclipsing the goaltender's eyes. Well, Dave Andrewshuck's in the Hall of Fame for having done that, <laughs> you know. So, like, I, I think I think Rempe's got a little <laughs> bit more going on than simply just fighting. And, yeah. I, and 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 that's what's interesting. I mean, I, I again for you and me and for a lot of people, the Rempe mania thing has been a chance to think back to those times when um, moderately skilled players could fight their way into the NHL. I do tend to believe it's a little bit different with him, but but it is interesting to think back to that era because again, you know, we. we often talk about how it's a different league now and a different sport now in many ways. And, and the idea that you could be a, a, a somewhat skilled player and then at some point during your career decide, I better start fighting if I want to make the NHL, that doesn't exist anymore. But it certainly was a pathway for a doesn't. lot of players back in the day. Do you think part of this, too, I want to end on this, I want to spend the whole conversation talking about Rempe, but do you think part of this is, you know, there are still some guys that are around that like doing it, but it's really hard to find someone else who wants to do it as well. And here's Matt Rempe, and whether you're Matt Martin, whether you're Nick Delorier, Matthew Olivier, maybe Ryan Reeves on Saturday on Hockey Night in Canada, or a rematch tonight at MSG, at the end of it, guys are, have a hard time, literally, finding a fight in the league anymore. I, that's definitely part of it. I mean, you know, the... There are a lot of reasons why we don't have as much fighting in the league as we did even 10 years ago. And part of it was the rules changes that then fostered changes to the roster that then fostered uh, players that were a bit slower of foot but faster of fist to no longer play in the league. Um, but then also the trickle up from from fighting bans and fighting reductions that we've seen in, yeah. in different lower levels of hockey. It trickled up to the NHL. So you have players that literally have never dropped the gloves in their lives, uh, debuting in the NHL and, and, and thriving, uh, as, as skill players. So there's a lot of reasons why it's happened. Lack of, of, of having a dance card to punch, I think is indicative of the yep. way that roster construction has changed and also the way that, that fighting has been diminished dramatically at lower levels of hockey. And again, like, I, I think, I think, I think there's still, it's obviously still happening. I'm not saying that it's, it's, it's been eradicated. It's at, it's at been at very historic low levels over the last few years. Um, but it's still, you ask any player in the league, it still has its place. And in the case of Rempe, yeah. um, ask and you receive. 
I mean, he found people that wanted to fight him and he was a willing participant and he fought. I did see people saying that the Ranger, I found this to be interesting. The Rangers allowed this to happen or they're encouraging it happening or something when people are talking about his safety and, and, and taking as many shots as he have, as he has. And I do mm-hmm. wonder, like, you can step in and say, don't. You could say, if you fight again, you'll oh, be yeah. finished. I mean, like, you could do that. But but I don't know. Maybe you know, but know better than me. Like, when, uh, most fights are booked by the players. I mean, rare. They either they know when to have it's... one to, to to spark their team, or they're going out there. They're going into business for themselves. I, rare is the time a coach uh, implicitly but... is like, go fight somebody. That that is a hundred percent true. There are times though where players will say, "I can't do it. I'm under orders," and everybody understands that. Yeah, all the guys understand it. All you got to say is like, "I'm under orders. I'm under orders." To not fight, and I, I think all the uh, uh, yeah, to not fight. Right. Like I, I really do think that 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 Peter Laviolette. Like I, I wonder about tonight specifically, if Peter Laviolette has said, "No, you're under orders tonight." No. So way. we asked him. No about way. That. No. We how. asked him about that. We we asked him about what his conversations have been like with Matt Rempe regarding not only the fights that he's having, but also how to handle Rempe mania. And, and Lavi both times deferred to the idea that conversations between coaches and players remain between coaches and players and are not for public consumption. But my friend Dan Rosen from NHL.com did ask, have you ever told a player not to fight? And Lavi Lett said, yes. I've definitely said to players during their careers, do not fight. Every coach, every coach. Uh, you are not helping. Yes. Yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens tonight. Maybe <laughs> maybe I think I think depending on what happens with Rempe, we're going to know whether or not the Rangers said, "Hey, cool it," or uh, or again, maybe he decided maybe uh, having a fight with one eye looking like he's uh, you know painted up like one of the Road Warriors is probably not <laughs> the best decision in life. <laughs> <laughs> there is a part of you that there is a part of you I know. That hopes that there's a there's a there's a rematch and Rempe wins, and they no. at and Rempe's at center ice and they hit real American and yeah. tears <laughs> off his shirt as he skates to the penalty box, cocking his hand to his ear to get the MSG faithful going, even though he's no, from Calgary. To hear if, real if I if I was to play Booker, <laughs> if I was to be you know pro wrestling <laughs> illustrated Booker of the year, there's only one thing I want to see, yeah. and it, and for various reasons, it's probably not going to happen, which is Rempe versus Reeves this weekend. That's Hockey Night in Canada. I know. Yeah. It's Hockey Night in Canada. It's millions of viewers. I know. It's Maple Leafs, Rangers. I know. I get it. I just don't know that that's very sane, to be honest with you. It, it's these not are, sane. And, 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 ah, and, these are and, human and beings. Logistically, might not happen from a lineup perspective. Correct. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, from that 22-minute conversation about Matt Rempe, uh, what did you make of Gary Bettman's comments yesterday to uh, John Liu that there's uh, there's oh. nothing to see here about the Winnipeg Jets and their attendance woes? I am so happy we're talking about this. Okay, first of all, uh, as, I, as I noted on Twitter last night, Gary Bettman said that when uh, Winnipeg finishes construction of this hotel that apparently the construction has stopped for a couple of years because of COVID or whatever. When they finish the hotel, they are going to be in the nearer term uh, up to maybe host an NHL draft. Within 10 seconds of that tweet hitting the timeline, I got a text from an agent saying, didn't, aren't they decentralizing the draft? (laughs) What is, what is Winnipeg getting exactly? I know. I I said, that's an excellent point. Um, 
No, I mean, uh, but they they still are going to have some sort of draft event every year. In fairness to Gary, like they they said, they're going to do have the, all the prospects in a place. Just all the teams will be decentralized. It'll be more like the NFL, where there's a yeah. draft event. So Winnipeg could, in theory, get something. But I just thought that was a, an interesting reaction. Um, here, here's my take. I, I I feel, I feel like both Chipman, and the commissioner, are are putting a lot on the fans. And and Gary, I think, tried to thread the needle last night of saying the team is safe. You can spend your money knowing that the team is safe, but you better spend your money if you want them to be a team that can compete. And listen, the, the, the Jets are in this pickle for a lot of reasons. Much of it, 10 years of, of what Chipman himself has said is pretty poor customer service. Uh, 10 years of mm-hmm. not properly building a corporate season ticket base. I think the Winnipeg Sun had a, had a, a column today talking about how it's going to take a village to make this team successful, meaning it's not going to be on the fans to uh, fulfill the season ticket needs, but it's going to take the community. Unless you want this team to leave, the community's got to step up from mm-hmm. a business perspective and buy some tickets. But I thought Batman tried to thread the needle last night saying the team is safe, but you better you best buy some season tickets if you want them to be competitive in a season in which they have re-signed Connor Hellebuck They've re-signed Mark Shifley, and they have made a trade before the deadline in which they acquired the second-best center available. So even with the handcuffing of this franchise from a financial point of view vis-a-vis their season ticket base, they're clearly still doing the business of hockey and and doing it pretty well. Mm -hmm. You see, I I look at the Winnipeg Jets, and there was the talk and this has been there for a couple of seasons we wondered when kevin shovel would would take the plunge and he hasn't he's done quite the opposite as you mentioned signing shifley and re-signing connor hallibuck as well uh where we thought the winnipeg jets were going to uh, start to rebuild make some moves rebuild this whole thing we've gone as far as we can with this current roster and it's time for a new fresh winnipeg jets team um my theory and my thought is they got to the edge of that cliff, looked over it, did their financial prognostications on what a rebuild looks like at the cash register and said, we can't do that. And that's why Shifley was resigned. And that's why Hellebuck was resigned. Like there are some markets, I'm curious how you feel about this. There are some markets that, it's gonna sound weird, but there are some markets that have the luxury of being able to go through a rebuild. Philadelphia Flyers, although how much of a rebuild this is, I don't even know. (laughs) Um, Or the Chicago Blackhawks or the Montreal Canadiens. You know what I mean? Like that have the base of support and the financial wherewithal to withstand a few bad seasons. We know the teams that can't do that, and Winnipeg obviously is one of them. Otherwise, they might have pulled the trigger on, uh, you know what, we're moving Shifley to Boston because Bergeron is gone. We could do something with Hellebuck here. Maybe they need some goaltending in Detroit. That seems to be the obvious A to B here, and we'll start the rebuild. But it just looked financially disastrous. Again, my belief, it looked financially disastrous, and they said, we can't have this here in Winnipeg. Agree, disagree. I, I, I tend to agree, I guess, but at the same time, it's kind of like if we're if we're talking about on ice performance vis-a-vis this uh, this this degradation of of season ticket sales, like this team has made the playoffs in or qualified for the playoffs in five of six seasons, okay? They have won uh, three playoff rounds 
in those seasons, including a trip to the conference finals in 2018. Yep. They are atop their division right now. Okay. And and are playing yep. at almost a 700 point percentage clip. Um, is, are we, are we, are we contending that they need to be a younger building eyes on the cup team and, 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 and not being in sort of the mushy middle in order for them to maximize their season ticket base? Cause again, I, it comes back to this for me, Merrick, like, the problem is not on ice performance, in my opinion. And the problem is not mm-hmm. tanking for, for Macklin Celebrini, in my opinion. The problem is that for, you know, a decade, they have not done the proper work to build out a, a sustainable season ticket base within their corporate community. And now maybe it's yep. a situation where <clears throat> it's a problem with the corporate community. And it's and you know and going to win going to Winnipeg was not like going to Vegas. Remember when Vegas got a team? What was the first thing Bill Foley did? He said, "I sold all of these season tickets to fans and to businesses, and I did not even ask a single casino to ante up for them, because he wanted to prove the viability of the business community beyond the gambling community. And lo and behold, yep. it's worked. They're thriving. They are one of the most successful franchises we have. And 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 in Winnipeg's case, I mean, there was always going to be curiosity about a could they you know, could they survive as a franchise that had to fill the building every single year to to be viable and how much corporate support was there going to be for this team on a year to year basis? And 10 years later, like we're still asking the same questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Real quick before I wrap up with you here, um, uh, Patrick Kane. Now I've always, first of all, that was lovely. That was lovely on Sunday. You know how I feel about Chris Chelios to me. He's, you know, with all due respect, Patrick Kane and maybe one day Austin Matthews. To me, he's he's the best American-born player ever. Um, curious where you feel uh, that title rightfully belongs. Maybe it's on Patrick Kane's head already. I don't know. Uh, what did you take away from Sunday? Because there was the obvious, did Chicago make a mistake? Could he go back? Yes, they burned a bridge, but will they send a raft? Uh, from the Chelios number retirement to Patrick Kane heroics, to, you know, the first time probably since, and again, he was in a Red Wings uniform, um, Eddie Jockerman returned to MSG. Did we see the New York fans cheering for the other team uh, when Pat Kane scored that goal? What did you make of Sunday? We'll finish up there. Like, there's a whole lot. Chelios, Kane, the Wings, the Future, Kyle Davidson, all of it. Well, it was very appropriate, I felt, on Chris Chelios' night to have somebody who used to be a Chicago Blackhawk Come back and find success wearing the winged wheel. It all it all fits in. It's poetry. It all rhymes. Right. Uh, the the yes. thing of the thing about it though, uh, for me, was as much as they celebrated Kane throughout the game, when he scored on that overtime breakaway, there was a noise inside the building that was that beautiful confused noise that a mouth makes when your lizard brain takes over. <laughs> like you want to be happy that it's Kane scoring. And you want to live in that yes. moment, and you know you've seen a little bit of hockey magic. But at the, the, then you notice that it's the damned wing wheel on his chest, and and you're still a Blackhawks fan, and you still have pride. And the noise you make is like, ah, it doesn't really. It's not a cheer or a boo. <laughs> you don't really know what to do. Um, I'll say this about Patty Kane: two things about him. First of all, it, I don't think we've really talked enough about what a miracle it is that he's doing this like i know we've mentioned it i know it's part of the story but the guys that had the surgery Mm -hmm. he had don't do this 
they don't they're not anything they're shells hmm. of their former selves and you watch patrick kane now and you squint hard enough and he looks like he did three or four years ago he's incredible the second thing is yeah i i, I remember talking to kane and you know and his reps leading up to you know through the summer and leading up to his eventual decision and and the big thing for them was we're going to take our time we're not going to commit he had plenty of suitors in the summer he could have easily signed a multi-year contract this summer they were on the table but they're like we're going to take our time yep. <clears throat> we're going to find the right place and uh, find and, and and figure out a team where that's going to put him in the best position to maybe contend for a cup but also a place he's going to be comfortable and he picked detroit and detroit at the time was definitely a contender definitely on the upswing but by no means a team that we felt could be ensconced in a playoff spot. So kudos to, mm-hmm. to, to Patty Kane and his agents and everyone else. You, you back the right horse. Yep. They're great. They're a playoff team and he's going to be playing in the playoffs because of it. Um, I would love to go back. You know, you always imagine, you know, what it would feel like hearing you talk about that sound the mouth makes when it's like <laughs> half of a cheer yeah. and half of a half of a groan. I'll swing back to that original example that I brought up, which to my mind, someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong here. That might be the only other time we've seen the home team cheer against the home team because they have a beloved figure on the other mm. team, and that's Eddie Jockerman mm. in 75. There's a great picture of Jockerman in the Red Wings uniform standing in the crease at MSG for Detroit, and he's sobbing, and there's so many Rangers stories, you know, passed on from, you know, father to son to daughter about, you know, dad was there and dad was crying seeing Eddie Jockerman, one of the most beloved netminders of all time with the New York Rangers, and every time a Ranger player would shoot at Jockerman, the fans would boo. They hated the idea that the Rangers were taking shots at Eddie Jockerman. And the interesting thing about all of it, and that brings it to today, ML Francis let go of Ed Jockerman because he felt that, you know, his you know knees were worn out, his body was breaking down. They needed to make way for another netminder who was going to star for the New York Rangers. That netminder's name John Davidson, who right now is shepherding through the Columbus Blue Jackets. Fascinating yeah. stories, fascinating stories. All right, um, anything before we uh, we leave you? I know we're looking forward to tonight in the Rangers and the uh, facing off against Columbus and the Rempy Olivier sideshow. We'll see where that goes. And the Oilers facing off against... Oh, here, here's what I'll ask you. Is this St. Louis's season tonight? Like the last last it thing to win a bet. If they lose tonight against the Oilers, it is that this. It feels like it. This might be the season could, for the St. Louis Blues be. tonight. I, I think everybody around the bubble still feels like they've got a shot. I mean, it, it, two good weeks by any of these teams, and you might be able to sneak into that second wild card spot. But um, it, it, yeah, they're they're on the precipice. And and again, like I I, I did a a ranking, my ranking, my big board of the top fifty potential uh, trade yep. targets uh, within the next week. You can read it on ESPN.com today. It's a it's a fun read. Buchnevich is four for me. I think the only the only guys that are ahead yeah. of him in the pecking order right now are are uh, are Gensel if he goes, Markstrom if he goes, Hannafin if he goes, and then Buchnevich for me is four. I know there's I know there's some talk about maybe that's a summertime move, dude. If if Doug Armstrong wants to maximize the return, I, I want I want the rest of the totally. season and next season of Buchnevich, and and I'm keeping my eye on those pesky Golden Knights to see if they can't figure out something again. With the Blues, they did it last year with with, with Barbashev. Imagine if they do it this yeah, year. Yeah, I know. Oh my God. 
It does seem very much a Kelly McCrimmon thing. Okay, we'll uh, we'll wrap on that. Thanks as always, Wish. Enjoy your next seven days. We'll chat next Wednesday. Talk to you soon.